you to stand as we go uh, to Luke chapter 2. And uh, as we begin uh, this uh, sermon series looking at the early life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I uh, invite you to turn again to Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. As we hear again of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, uh, let us start there at verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governor in Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she, wrapped, uh, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Therefore there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass. The Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told them. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you've given to us these words on this day. And to God we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you will apply these words unto our hearts. We might give glory unto you in all that we do. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You know, as we come to this passage today, you know, this is one of those passages in the Bible that I think all of us have read more than once. In fact, we probably read this, give or take our age, uh, for me, probably 39 times. Uh, for some of you, a little bit more, some a little bit less. But you know, this is a passage that is very well known to us. And when we come to passages like this that are well known to us, there can become a, a bit of familiarity with them. In some ways, familiarity is not always a good thing. Yeah, because we can read them in kind of a rote fashion. Yeah, as we read today, I, I, I know that you know, we've heard these details many times. 
I think we all know that Caesar Augustus was the Roman emperor in the day that Jesus was born. We may not know much about Quirinius, but we know that he was governing Syria. Of course, we can again list each one of these details. And again, each one of them are important in their own way. I can rest assured that, uh, that, that Caesar Augustus, when he became Caesar, had no idea that we would be talking about him today. Now, he may thought we would have because the Roman Empire was supposed to be a never-ending empire. An empire without end. So, of course, we would be talking about Caesar Augustus. And you know, in other ways, we do talk about Caesar Augustus at least for 31 days every year. Of course, Caesar Augustus is why we have a month called August. And it's named after him. But again, Caesar was... Was of no concept in his mind that we, the Christians, would be talking about him these 2,000 years hence. But we see something about what Caesar has done. Right? Caesar has called for a census. He's called that the entire empire, the whole world, would be registered. And why would an emperor want people to be registered? Well, for the same reason that all emperors and presidents want you to be registered so they know how much money they can milk out of you. Right? You know, when you get that piece of paper after the first of the year where you have to pay the state for the right to live in your own land, what's the reasoning of that? And the idea is, is that you get to live at your address at the blessing of the state. Now, again, we may have our own thoughts on the matter, whether or not the state actually has that authority, but Caesar most certainly thought he did. And we see here that uh, Caesar Augustus, having done these things, again, for his own purposes, has set in motion what the Lord our God had already decreed to take place. Again, we see this many times in the Bible where unbelievers, especially unbelieving kings, fulfill the Word of God. Again, Caesar Augustus is not calling this census because of what he read in the book of Isaiah. But again, God often uses uh, unbelievers in this way to accomplish His purposes, to do what He has set out to do. Again, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ, that it had been prophesied that He would be born in Bethlehem. Not only that He would be born in Bethlehem, but He would be born of a virgin. Now, in, in the midst of the story that we have here, that Luke has given to us, we don't have the same details as we do in Matthew, for example. And there's a reason for that, again, in God's providence. And God has given us four Gospels for a reason. That we might learn a fully formed understanding of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And what the Lord Jesus Christ has come to do. And again, at the depth at which we can learn more and more about the Lord Jesus as we read of His birth in Luke 2 as well as in Matthew 1. 
Now, in adult Sunday school this morning, uh, we talked about Matthew chapter 1. And again, we learned more about Joseph and Mary there uh, that's also given to us here in Luke 2. Now, let's notice a couple things here about Joseph. First of all, Joseph is the first one mentioned. And why is Joseph the first one mentioned? Because it's because of him that they have to go to Bethlehem. It's because that is the city of his lineage, of his family. And one of the one of the problems, of course, of being in the United States is is where exactly where we would we go? You know, if our if we had to go back to the home of our lineage, as far as I know, I think I would have to go back to Stuttgart, Germany, to be registered. And that's where my family line comes from. Now think about the logistics of this of this whole event of Joseph having to pull up stakes and go to Bethlehem. Well, one of the things we know about Joseph, of course, is he's a carpenter. And carpenters are a little bit flexible when it comes to working location. But the likelihood is, is what is Joseph not doing while he's in Bethlehem? He's not working. He's not making any money. He's not contributing anything. He's sitting in Bethlehem, kind of twiddling his thumbs, in a sense. And that's one of the reasons why this detail we have at the end of verse 7 is an important one. Again, they've come back to Bethlehem. They've come back for this census. And what do we hear? That there was no room for them in the inn. Now, it's important again to, to, to understand what Luke is saying here. What's being said here is not that Motel 6 was booked... Because it's not like Joseph was going to be staying at the Marriott. Right? He's likely looking at the Super 8 or Motel 6 or, or something like that. What it's saying here, Luke uses the exact same word in the testimony of the Lord's Supper to talk about the upper room. Right? The guest chamber. What it's saying here is that there's no room in his family's home for he and his wife. And so they have to stay in the stable. They have to stay in kind of the lower part of the house. If you you remember how houses were built back then, the the ground floor was was where the animals lived. When I was a young kid, we lived in a garage apartment. And that meant that the cars, of course, went in below and you walked upstairs and you lived above the garage. Well, that's kind of how most houses were built back then. You know, they, were, they were built with the animals in the basement uh, with kind of the living quarters in the middle and everybody lived upstairs. So what we're hearing here is that there's no place for the family of Joseph in his family home in Bethlehem. So they have to stay with the animals. And so one of the things we see also being testified to us here is something about, uh, about Jesus. Something that will cause trouble in the minds of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and Judas later on. Where is the Lord of glory born? Of course, He's born in a manger. And that's not how the people of God thought it was going to work out, right? They thought that the king was going to come and rid them of the Roman Empire. And of course, where are kings born? Kings aren't born in mangers. Kings are born in palaces. Right? With midwives and with all of the fancy accoutrements that come with that. 
What we see here again is that the Lord in His, in His wisdom and His purpose has set forward in His providence that Jesus Christ be born of Joseph, you know, the line of David, in the days of Caesar Augustus when Quirinius was governing Syria. Again, it's important to understand again God's providential hand in all of these things. And when we, we go about our daily lives, one of the things that's supposed to give us comfort is that the Lord our God is sovereign over all things. He's not just sovereign over the life of the king of Caesar Augustus, but He's also sovereign over the life of Joseph, as well as He's sovereign over the fact that the rest of Joseph's family got there before he did. Because that's really what the problem was, right? Yeah, it's not as if Joseph and Mary got there first and his family was like, well, you know, we've saved the best rooms for other people. No, what really happened here is that there was no room in the guest room, right? There was no room in the house. The only place that his family had for him was in the manger, in the stable. Again, all these things were under the command of the Lord our God. And all these things being under the command of the Lord our God is a reminder, again, of the way in which God watches over each and every one of us each and every day. Another thing to think about uh, that, that, of course, we think about in the 21st century is that imagine giving birth in a manger. I had a good friend of mine who, uh, who his second child was born in the back seat of his car. And, you know, that's obviously kind of more normal uh, way uh, of doing things, or let me say, not normal way of doing things. Whereas most of us, you know, had our children in a hospital and, it, you know, everybody was walking around with gloves on, hopefully. And, you know, there was all this idea and this knowledge of germs, right? Of biological issues. Well, again, I know most of us have been in a stable, right? What, what's in a stable? Not good things, right? Yeah, not stuff that lends itself to germaphobes, right? What we see going on here is a little glory being born in a manger. And of course, God knows about germs, right? It's not something that God needs to learn about. We see here in the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ that God is watching over even the microbes in the manger. Right? He is protecting His own Son from the realities of being born in this place. It's something that is meant to give us comfort as we read this story. Again, the same God who's God over Caesar Augustus is God over the botulism in that manger. And that as Mary wraps him in swaddling cloths and lays him in the manger, again, these things are attended by the Lord for what purpose? Well, again, that's what the rest of the story is about. We, we, we hear about the purpose uh, as the angels come and reveal themselves to the shepherds. There in verse 8 it says... Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings, a great joy, which will be to all people. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Again, all of these events have taken place for this purpose. For there is born to you this day 
in the city of David a Savior. You can think about that for a moment. Again, God's sovereignty over the microbes over Caesar Augustus is for these shepherds. That the Savior who is born is for them. That these things have taken place that the shepherds might be brought out of darkness and into the light of the good news of the Gospel. And this is a wonderful thing to imagine, a wonderful thing to see in the midst of this story. Again, the God who has prophesied of these things from Isaiah and Zechariah and Micah. Again, who has led these things to take place. Again, has brought this glory to show it to these shepherds in the fields. And again, notice something that accompanies this revelation. We see in verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and earth peace, goodwill toward men. Something to, to remember as we you know, consider the majesty of the birth of the Lord Jesus. What is following the announcement but the presence of God's angels glorifying the name of God? Calling out unto the world and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. These angels who have been with the angel of the Lord here, who have caused at first fear to come into the heart of the shepherds. Because again, think about what's actually going on here. Again, sometimes we can take stories in the Bible and we can kind of treat them as myths, uh, even if we don't mean to. Right? We can treat them almost like these, uh, almost like Disney tales. You know, the, the, something that happens in a kind of alternate universe. But this is real life. These are real shepherds. This is history. They're standing there, minding their own business, watching over their flocks, and all of a sudden, an angel appears to them. It's not normal things, right? Angels don't just appear to shepherds all the time. Right? And, and they see this angel and they're greatly afraid as they should be. Because what usually happens when the angel of the Lord shows up? Right? When the angel of the Lord shows up, people get killed. Right? God's judgment comes down. But what does the angel of the Lord, as we're told here, say? Yeah. An angel of the Lord, not the angel of the Lord, but an angel of the Lord comes. They're greatly afraid. And what does he say? Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Right? This message isn't just for the shepherds. Again, this great message, which will bring good tidings of great joy to all people, has come in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting here as we, we look at the shepherds and their reaction to these things. In verse 20 it says, Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. This is an important part of the story. An important part of the nature of how we are to respond to the glory of God. Right? The shepherds cannot contain it within themselves. Right? They go out Telling and glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. But they can't contain it within themselves. And it's not just that they've seen an angel. Right? But what is it that they are going out into the world speaking? All the things that they have heard and seen. And of course, what had they seen? 
We're told that they come, and as they come, they see this child. And in verse 18, all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. The shepherds who have been called out of the fields have come into the presence of Mary and Joseph and all those gathered together around this baby. And what are they telling them? What the angels told them. Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is what they are telling the people gathered around this child. Now remember, who is gathered around the child? It's not just Mary and Joseph, because what do Mary and Joseph know? Right? They know this. This has been revealed to them by the angels. And the angels have revealed this to the shepherds. And the shepherds are telling all of Joseph's family about this glorious message. This glorious truth that has come to pass. Again, when babies are born, what do we do? We go see them, right? Now imagine a baby being born in your basement. What are you going to go do? You're probably going to go check it out, right? So the whole family of Joseph, and remember, these houses are very close together. And if a baby was born in your neighbor's basement, what would you do? You would go look, right? This is not a normal thing that would happen in Bethany. But if your neighbor had a baby in the basement... I think he would want to find out about it. Right? And so all these people are gathered together. And in the Lord's providence, they bought a house next to Joseph's family. Right? In God's providence, they bought a house across the street from Joseph's family. And they've been brought together to this place. And they've come and to see this child, and the shepherds kind of bust in. Yeah. They, they, they come in the door and say, Look, there's a baby in the swaddling clothes. And what do they tell? They say, this is, this is the Savior. This is Christ. This is the Lord. This is the One who has come to save us from our sins. And then we see that as they glory to God, as they call out unto God for these things, again, the message of the truth is, is pouring out of them. It's almost like a, a never-ending flood that is, that is coming out of their body. As they're going around telling others about these things. Now think about later on in the Gospels. What happens to people who are healed by Jesus? What do they do? Now Jesus will tell them sometimes the shh about it, right? But what is their reaction? To go and to tell others about these wonderful things that Jesus has done. You think of the woman at the well. She goes and tells these men about this, this gentleman that she met at the well that told me everything that has ever happened in my life. And they come and they, they come to see Jesus and Jesus speaks to them. Again, this calling, this action that is supposed to be welling up within everyone who knows the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This glory that is that's deep within us. And that, that doesn't mean, of course, that all of us are supposed to be kind of ecstatic all the time. Right? And it also doesn't mean that we're supposed to kind of make up that ecstasy. Right? Kind of create situations where we gain those things. But again, the attitude here is something that is necessary in the heart of a believer. Right? When we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, again, we, we don't just kind of say, okay, well, I guess I believe in Jesus now. As, as if it's like, you know, picking up your you know, form from the DMV or something, right? 
Again, that's not how the Scriptures represent believers. The Scriptures represent believers as as those who, who, who not only know the Lord Jesus in their hearts, but it represents as those who, who cannot put anything before that message, before that glory. Again, this idea here that we see here is the shepherds are, are wanting to be with others who believe in these things. And as they go out, they want others to come and to hear this message. And as they go out to do these things, again, remember what the angels said. Glory to God in the highest, and earth peace, goodwill toward men. Again, all of these things are are focused upon the worship of God. The worship of the beauty of the heavens. The worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a necessary part of our faith. And we cannot set aside the worship of God uh, for, for worldly things. Because what we do here today, what we do here this morning... Again, it's not just something we have to do, right? A check we have to mark off. Well, I went to church this week, right? That's not the attitude that we are called to bring into the house of God. The attitude we are to bring is that we get to be in God's presence, right? We get to hear once more the beauty of the gospel. We get to hear once more the wonders that will come in the heavens, this is a time where what we see happening in the presence of these shepherds is, is to be repeated each and every week. And that's what we see as the example in the New Testament. What, what are the people doing? Well, the people are gathering together on the first day of the week. And why are they gathering together the first day of the week? Well, first of all, because the, the, the Sabbath has moved from the end of the week to the beginning of the week. Right? The fourth commandment calls us out to mark out one day out of seven. Right? And that day has moved from Saturday to Sunday. And why is that? Because today is the day that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Right? This is the day of the resurrection. That's one of the things we celebrate as we come together on the Lord's Day. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the resurrection is why Jesus has been born in a manger. The resurrection is why God has come in the flesh to be a Savior. To be the one who brings dead sinners out of their death, out of their blindness, and into the presence of a holy God. Again, if this isn't an amazing thing, then we need to recalibrate ourselves. Right? If this isn't something that, that, that kind of wells up this joy, right? this great joy of good tidings, then we need to, to, to inquire within our hearts. We need to look and see what is our faith. Again, is our faith an historical one? Is it one where we believe because our parents told us we were supposed to believe? Right? Is it a faith that we have because we're afraid to go to hell? Right? Is our faith one because we know that good people go to church? Again, what is the response of the shepherds? Again, it's the glory in the things of God. 
It's the glory and the presence of the Savior, the presence of Christ, the presence of this, this God-man who's been born just as God said He would be born. And again, the Old Testament is full of these testimonies that we will see the coming of this God-man, the coming of the Savior. And the Savior will redeem men. Right? He will bring them out of bondage to sin, bring them out of death, bring them out of uh, this rebellion. Give them, again, this new life, this new identity that they have in Him. You know, the, the, the reaction that those who have been truly saved, the examples that we have in the Scriptures are of those who, who see this glory for what it is and cannot but respond with worship. Cannot but respond with, with holy living. Cannot, respond, cannot but respond with uh, love for the brethren. Love for one another. Again, we see this in the book of Acts. After the 3,000 are saved at Pentecost. Again, they come together for the breaking of bread. Right? They come together sharing equally of what they have. Again, that's not a, a communist thing. Again, it's an example of the mutual love that they have for one another. Right? That they understand that they are no longer of their former manner of life. No longer of their former family in that sense. Right? What does Jesus say to His own mother and brothers? Right? Who are His brothers and sisters? Who is His mother? Who is His father? Those who do the will of Him who sent me. And what is the will of Him who sent me? That we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That we believe that He died for our sins on the cross. That we believe that we no longer live in the old man, but in the new life that we have received. And that our response is worship. Our response is thanksgiving. Our response is resting in Him. And not resting in ourselves, not resting in the works of the flesh, but looking unto the heavens themselves and saying with the angels, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward man. And as we hear the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. In this attitude of faith, this attitude of Thanksgiving, this attitude of praise is given unto God above. The same God who called Caesar Augustus to put together this census. The same God who shepherded the line of David all the way down to Joseph. So that the Son of God would be born in the manger. So that the Son of God would live a perfect life for you. So the Son of God would die on the cross for your sins. So the Son of God would be raised on the third day. On this day that we gather together. Receiving a foretaste of the glory that awaits us in the heavenly places. Where we will be, as we see in the book of Revelation, with the elders and, and with the angels shouting the same thing. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to the God of holiness, of righteousness, of justice, of peace, and this God of comfort. Again, let us go forward from this place today. Looking at the glory 
that we've received because the Lord Jesus has come. Let us go forth in this place with hearts that are, uh, that, that are focused upon the worship of God, upon the goodness of God, and upon the love that God has showered upon us through the giving of His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, shall have eternal life. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father.